I'm both amazed and amused at the fanciful stereotypes associated with Christianity. For instance, to many, an ambassador for Christ is a missionary who travels across an ocean, endangering his life to preach to cannibals and headhunters. And in every situation where this is true, they always have a brown-colored hard hat on their head. That's the stereotype. Now, why is that? Well, the first missionary in the modern missionary movement back 300 years ago was a guy by the name of Livingston, who went all the way into the Central Africa and with lots of publicity. And that somehow has stuck in our secular world as to what a, an ambassador for Christ is. <clears throat> in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, we have a record of the last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended back to heaven. And what he said was, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore, or as you go, an heir's passive participle, isn't that bless you? But what it means is, as you're going, the Lord, passive voice, will use you Wherever you are, that's where God has called you to be his ambassador. And there, to make disciples, to baptize and to teach those things, all the things that he commanded. Our, our, we are ambassadors for Christ. And if you don't think so, it's not just the, the missionary out there is what I'm trying to say. We are all ambassadors for Christ. And Jesus in his high priestly prayer shortly before he went to the cross, this evening before, said to the Father, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That be you and me. Jesus there prayed for those who would believe as the message went forward. <clears throat> in our text this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse, the last two verses of the text, verse 20 and 21, <clears throat> says, Now then, we, personal pronoun we, are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Heavenly Father, I thank you that in your providence, in your purpose, in your wisdom, you chose us to be your ambassadors to a desperately needy, lost and dying world, a sin-sick world. I thank you, Father, that you did not commission angels, but you commissioned us to be your representatives on earth until Jesus comes again. And as we look at this text today, uh, why this text and why today? Lord, that's part of your sovereign providential plan. But here we are for purposes that only you know. And so I pray, Father, that you would teach us 
that you would open our hearts, that you would bring understanding and where necessary conviction and where necessary and where possible rejoicing. But I pray, Father, that we will not be the same as we come before your word and the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what's an ambassador? As I researched the term and its usage, I came across, kept coming across two words. The first was a messenger. Someone who has an ambassador is somebody with a message. But more specifically, that messenger is a representative of a higher authority. Now, our message is about Christ. But we give that message as his personal representative. United States ambassadors to Peru, to Central Africa, to Afghanistan, wherever. United States ambassadors are not representing the United States of America. They are representing as the personal envoy of the president. Now, the message of the ambassadors many times will be about the United States, but it, would be, it will have been given by the president to the ambassadors because they represent the president. I came to understand at a very early age, probably around eighth grade, I came to understand that as a follower of Jesus Christ, a new creature in Christ Jesus, I was the personal representative of Jesus Christ. You know what that did to my life? It brought great restraint. I, the last thing I wanted to do was bring reproach upon the name of Christ. I was so very aware of my identity. I, I was an ambassador of Jesus Christ, a personal representative. Man, that kept me out of a lot of foolishness uh, as, a, as a young person and since. The matter of being an ambassador for Christ is found in an unusual context here. In verse 15, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, nope, wrong verse, verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Now, Paul is defending his uh, uh, apostleship. The, the false teachers had come in, and in this case, they were preying upon what they considered unusual behavior. The guy's out of his head. He's way too excited. Uh, they were trying to use that against him. And he says, if, if we're considered beside ourselves, it is for God. Can you imagine, just put yourself in the shoes of an unbeliever for a minute. I, if, you're not, if you're a believer and you're not out of step with the rest of the world, uh, why not? We're going to be out of step. We're going to be viewed as kind of strange at times. But for a minute, put yourself in the mindset of an unbeliever. A Christian is somebody who feels supreme love and talks to somebody he has never seen every day. He expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so that he can be declared righteous, is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, dies to self so he can live for others, 
forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep. He sees the invisible, he hears the inaudible, and understands the incomprehensible. Man, you're a lot of weird ducks. At least many in the world would think that. So Paul is explaining here his actions, eloquently describing the uniqueness of a genuine ambassador of Christ. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on, focusing in on. And he, he kind of begins by saying, here's our mentality. Here's, here's kind of where we're coming from. And in verse 11, it, our, the first verse of our text, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord... We persuade men. Now, it is true that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a holy God. It is true to reject Christ and put your hand up in the face of Jesus and say no. The consequence is to spend eternity in a literal burning lake of fire. That's horrible to think of. And it's true. But I don't believe that's what Paul is trying to communicate here in this text. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. Let me read from another translation. Therefore, knowing what it is to fear the Lord. Paul is here giving his motivation as to why he is an apostle, why he is a passionate ambassador of Jesus Christ. And the first reason he gives is because he has come to know the fear of the Lord. What he is saying is not God is really going to get you if you die without Christ, though that's true. He is saying because of God's infinite mercy and grace, we have come to know what it is to welcome his authority in our lives. We have come to respect and reverence and worship him because we have come to know the fear of God. This is our testimony. His grace to us is our mindset as as grateful ambassadors. We've come to know what it is to know the fear of God. And that's what makes us passionate. This grace has been, or excuse me, this fear of God, God had chosen to make well known not only to himself, but to the Corinthian believers. Some may Paul is saying some may think that we are way over the top, but we have experienced God's incredible grace and we are passionate about it. It's what makes us tick. It's why we are authentic followers of Jesus Christ. This fear of God experienced in his life motivated him to persuade others. Why wouldn't it? Of course it would. They, the Corinthians, well knew this. And uh, in verse 11, the last part, and I also trust are well known in your consciences, in the passive voice there, God had made it very clear to the, to the Corinthian believers that Paul was absolutely authentic and these false teachers were just blowing smoke because God had done his part to show the authenticity of the Apostle Paul. He was one who knew what it was to fear God and this had become essential because of the false teachers who were trying to use their passion against them. And he gives this explanation for we <coughs> verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but we give you an opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance 
and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are of self, mine, it is for you. Paraphrase it this way. Look, our lives and our heart motives have been an open book before the Lord and before you. The only reason I am being so vulnerable and transparent before you is not to brag, but to give you an answer for those false teachers who judge based upon outward appearance. Not only had they come to know what it was to fear the Lord, but the second motivation listed here is they had truly come to know the love of Christ. Verse 14, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, <coughs> that if God died for all, then, he, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Again, to paraphrase it, we have come to know the fear of God and the love of Christ, and we're being held in the grip of Christ's love for us, and this compels us to proclaim him. A true ambassador <clears throat> for Christ is one who no longer lives for himself. His motivating, passionate purpose and significance of life is to live for Christ, and that means to be an ambassador to all those about. An ambassador for Christ is not motivated by guilt. He's not motivated by reward. And he is not motivated by self-satisfaction or self-fulfillment. He is one who is no longer living for himself. That's a message that really needs to be burned in to the culture of our, of our day, the Christian culture of our day. <clears throat> we, were, we were born again, we were saved to live for another. And Paul really understood that and he was passionate because of coming to know the fear of God and God's love for him. As Paul continues his defense, he describes the measure of an ambassador. Verse 16, Therefore from now on, we regard no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer, because, or therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. How many times have we judged a book by its cover? Paul is saying that you can't judge based upon what one was when he is no longer the same person. It's like comparing apples with apples, or with oranges. But comparing apples with apples. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have, been, have passed away. We've become new in Christ. We have a whole new spiritual DNA. And to just judge based upon appearances and just upon the past, we are the real McCoy. We are different people. We have been recreated in Christ, a new, a new creature, a new, a new ID, identity, a saint, and all that that entails. The mark of a true Christian is that he no longer lives for himself. He is now an ambassador. He is a new creature. If you're going to talk about appearances, get to the core, get to the real of who we are. Up to this point, the focus has been on what makes an ambassador tick. He is a new creature because he has come to understand and know the, the fear of God and the love of God. The rest of what follows is his mission and his message.
As to his mission, verse 18, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now think through this. We have come to know what it is to fear God. That is to know his grace. We have come to know what it is. We have come to know the love of Christ. That's God's heart. And here we have come to know what it is to be fully, <clears throat> fully reconciled with God. And that's God's peace. When there's reconciliation, there's peace. <clears throat> to reconcile means to restore to favor one person in relationship who has turned away his back to the other. <clears throat> God didn't move. We did. <clears throat> and with this knowledge, <clears throat> we, are, we are alone have the mission of reconciliation. He has entrusted to us the word of reconciliation. I want to illustrate really this whole passage to this point, if I can. Most of you, if you've lived here very long, <clears throat> have had the experience of going to the confluence of the Russian River with the Kenai River. And during the red season, about the 20th or so of July, <clears throat> one of the most entertaining experiences in Alaska is to go watch a Chichaco having an Alaska adventure lined up shoulder to shoulder fishing for reds in the Russian River or the Kenai right there back to shoulder to shoulder to shoulder. Eventually a Chichaco is going to snag a red about that far from his tail and say that's good to go, that's close to the mouth. And because it's snagged, <clears throat> that it's going to be like pulling in a rock after it goes down and, and they stumble across and fist fights break out and there's lines tangled all over. It is just an incredible, incredibly entertaining show. It's worth it to, to, to go there and just watch. Don't take your fishing pole, just watch. It's fun. I've done that. <clears throat> well, the Chichaco, miraculously, somebody throws a net out, pulls the fish in. I caught a red salmon. Eyes are this big. I am now an expert. I know how to do it. And he has Chichaco friends over here. He's telling them all about how to do it. This is how you do it. He's passionate. He's zealous. He just caught his first salmon. It was illegal. It, he had all kinds of help and fist fights broke out, but he caught a salmon. He's now an expert. He can't wait to tell his buddies. I kind of think that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. We've come to know what it is to fear the Lord. We've learned of his grace. We've come to know God's love. We have been reconciled. We know his love, his grace, and his peace in our lives. That's what makes us tick. That's why we're passionate. And what he is saying in this text to these uh, false teachers who are trying to discredit their message, hey, they're looking at outward appearance. Yeah, you know, sometimes we, we kind of are over the top. We, we are, we are, we're passionate, yes. But there's a reason. And so, <clears throat> that's a message. Passionate. Excuse me, that's the, the mission. 
Passionate ambassadors. Now I have to stop and say, are you passionate? I have to confess, I've been saved, a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, born again, for probably 63 years. That's quite a while. And as I, if you want to call it spiritual formation, uh, that's an appropriate term, about eighth grade, ninth grade, when I really began to become aware that I was a representative of Jesus Christ and and revolutionized my life, and God was doing doing a work in in my heart. I forgot why I was telling you that. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been an interesting day, all day. But God did a work in my heart. <laughs> oh yeah, I know what I was going to say. <laughs> I was far more passionate. There wasn't a kid in the high school that I went to that didn't know I was a follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, God did some rather amazing things. And I was pretty excited. It was fresh. It was new. But I, I have noticed through the years, I mean, look, it's been 50 plus years. I don't come across as passionate and zealous as I used to. And I, I think, too, as believers, as we get older in Christ, it's very easy, just like in any relationship, marriage relationship, whatever, to kind of take things for granted. Do we take our Savior for granted? You know, we have peace. We know the love of God. We, we know the, the fear of the Lord, and uh, we're anticipating the Lord's return, but it's kind of on the back burner. I think we all, from time to time, need to have our hearts re-stirred, and we need to look within and say, Lord, help me not to take all this incredible blessing that I have for granted. Our mission is a mission of reconciliation. And the message is very specific. Verse 19. Here it is. That, in, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us this word of reconciliation. The good news that is our message is that God isn't immediately charging us with the consequences of our sin. Instead, what God did was charged it to Christ on our behalf. And here's how it works. Verse 21. For he, God, made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. On that cross, the sins of every man ever born were charged to the account of Jesus. They were imputed to his account. And he bore our sins on that cross. Now, if you're 
any kind of a student of the Bible, you, you recognize there the allusion to the, the scapegoat in the Old Testament. Once a year, the high priest would take two blemishless one-year-old goats. One would be sacrificed on the altar. The other, he would take his hands and place them on the head of the goat and confess the sins of the nation. That goat would then be led out as the scapegoat. He would be led out into the desert and let go. This was a picture of the Messiah who one day would bear our sins. All we like sheep have gone astray, but he has, he has placed on him... Oh, I'm going to have to read it. Uh, Isaiah 53... Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That was the picture foreshadowing Christ, where our iniquities, iniquities would be placed on Jesus. And it was he that bore our sin. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. There, as clearly foretold throughout the scripture, for our possibility of going to God's heaven, there's only one way. It will never be through our own virtue or our own righteousness. It can only be the imputed righteousness of Christ given to our account. God charged Jesus with our sin, and he bore its consequence. So that, through faith, when we place our trust in Jesus, in, in repentant faith, we submit to his authority in our lives. That's what it, the fear of God is. We invite him to be our Lord and Savior. We bow the knees of our heart to him. He comes into our lives. We are born again. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell the righteousness of Jesus is charged to our account. And it is the righteousness of Jesus that we claim that will give us entrance into God's heaven. It will never be my own. It can only be his. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me and through me and with his righteousness. It is our only hope. And that's what the message that we bear as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, that is the message of reconciliation. It's a revolutionary message. <clears throat> it runs counter to every other self-effort, self-righteous message there is. Whether you're Muslim, Mormon, or Mason, all self-effort, all performance-oriented do-good to achieve that message is from the pit of hell. Our only hope is to confess that we are not righteous, that we are without hope, that there is nothing good within us apart from Christ. That enables us then to let go, turn it over to God, and become one of his kids. <clears throat> this message is our ministry. What is the ministry of an ambassador? Verse 20, therefore... We are his ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, 
we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In this verse, we are being told that our message is simply, hey, you need to be reconciled with God. But didn't Christ's death already reconcile us to God? I mean, look at verse 19. It says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He died on the cross. Aren't we all good to go? Haven't we all been reconciled? It says here, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. What's all this about needing to get saved? We're already saved, aren't we? I mean, it says Christ is reconciling us. Well, but it goes on to say, be reconciled. <coughs> I, I'm going to illustrate that this morning with an illustration I've used so many times I'm just sure that I've used it here before. So I asked the folks in our home group uh, Thursday night, have I ever used that illustration? And they said, no. Well, either they're losing it. I just wanted you to make sure I know I'm not losing it. Uh, here's the illustration. <clears throat> the same Chichaco who snagged the fish at the Russian River hung around for another two or three weeks and, and engaged a big game guide to go get a brown bear. And they're out in the woods where the brown bear hang out. For whatever reason, the guide and the chachaco get briefly separated. And that's when a ferocious mama bear protecting her cubs comes charging through the brush. And what does the guy do? The chachaco, what does he do? And, and oh, this was be, before or after he wet his pants. He, first, he, he wet his pants. He threw his gun down, and he had the presence of mind to climb a tree. So there's the chichaco up the tree, mama bear between him and the ground, ready to devour him. The big game guy hears the commotion. He comes charging around, sees what the situation is. One shot, dead bear. The chichaco in the tree is now reconciled to the ground because the barrier between him and the ground has been removed. The barrier was the bear. But the text goes on to say, be reconciled. The chichaco is reconciled. The barriers are moved, but he must be reconciled and climb down the tree, get both feet planted on terra firma then he's reconciled, reconciled. But in order to do that, the chichaco up the tree, by faith and trust and believe that the big game guide actually did kill the bear, that the barrier actually has been removed. Until we, or unless we, place our absolute trust in Jesus Christ, who is the big game guide in this illustration, we will be stuck in the tree. And there's a lot of people stuck in the tree of self-sufficiency, of wanting control, of wanting to go to heaven but be able to do my own thing in the meantime, not willing to face the need of repenting of sin and turning to Christ. There's a lot of people that the issue of sin has been dealt with, but we by faith must appropriate it. For by grace are you saved through faith, 
that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Our message is a message of reconciliation. And based upon the thrust of this text, Paul is saying, Christian, this message is so valuable that Jesus died on that cross to make it so. Therefore, it is not just a duty, but life-consuming honor to be His grateful ambassadors. Consider these statements in closing. An ambassador, as an ambassador, the man is the message in many respects. He is the personal representative. Our goal should be to personify the message and the sender of the message in our lives. As an ambassador, we represent the king the highest authority in all of the universe is the living God who is both creator and final judge. He is the one who has commissioned us as his personal representatives. As an ambassador, as an ambassador we march to the beat of a different drum. If you never find yourself at odds with the world in which you live, my question to you is, why? And come on, I, I spent a number of years living out there in the marketplace, some pretty rough dudes. And I found that often I was at odds with them. Actually, they were at odds with me. We shared competing value systems. And they didn't like it when my value system wasn't theirs. I marched to the beat of a different drum. Hey, I'm a good guy. I'm easy to get along with. And uh, they thought I was okay. But we were at odds many times. We didn't see eye to eye on things that had to do with values. I marched to the beat of a different drum. I've never understood why many Christians are ashamed to stand up for truth, to stand up for Jesus and be seen as different. Never understood that, but I know many do. The question, as an ambassador, we march to the beat of a different drum. Do you? And finally, as an ambassador of Christ, the ministry of reconciliation is ours and nobody else's. In closing, God probably hasn't called you to New Guinea or the Amazon jungle basin to preach to headhunters and cannibals. But he has called you to be his personal representative to your family, to your co-workers, your schoolmates, to wherever you are, is your world, and it's the world to whom God has called you. He has called you and placed you right where you are, right here, right now, to be his ambassador. Verse 15, again, 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. 
verse 15, and he died for all that those who live, those who live in Christ, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. The emptiness and the futility of being a Christian and trying to have it both ways, to live in the world, to be of the world, and to do your own thing, and to be in control, and to uh, do what seems to you to be better than God's way, is so unsatisfying. It's the soul satisfaction is just not there. But oh, the, the satisfaction and the fulfillment of knowing that your life is being used by eternal God in the lives of other people as his personal ambassador. That's what uh, flips my switch. That's what turns me on. I don't come across as passionate as I did 50 years ago. But what a joy it is to know that my life counts in the lives of other people, both saved and unsaved. My greatest joy is to know that my life is being used of him as his personal representative, no matter what the situation is. Think about that. Is it true for you? You don't need to become a preacher. You don't need to become a missionary. God's called you where you are, right here, right now, wherever you are, at all times, to personally represent him. Father, what an incredible privilege that is. I'm amazed that we frail, weak, uh, flawed creatures have been chosen in Christ to represent him as personal representatives. I pray, Father, that we would understand that reality. I pray it would be a restraint upon our lives. And I pray that it would be a motivation in a very positive way to represent Jesus Father, I thank you that you're coming again. And I thank you, Father, that until that day, you have given meaning and purpose and significance to us that is incomprehensible. May we, Father, walk in it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.